Hello everyone and welcome back to our podcast, The War Room, which is our interview series as part of the Clone Star Pod. I am your host, Sean Ferrick, and joining me is one of the preeminent linguists, certainly in Star Trek, but also in his field. He's written a doctoral thesis on the Mutsun language. He was a teacher and fellow of the Smithsonian and also created just about every language you can think of from the main races in Star Trek. Dr. Mark Ockrand, it's an absolute honour. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's, it's just this is this is really, really special because full disclosure, uh, we've recently just done a couple of breakdown videos on particularly the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. So the Wrath of Khan. And so I've heard your name a lot over the last while. So this is really exciting for me. But this is this is so cool. Good, good. This is cool for me, too. Um. So, I mean. But the first question I'm going to ask is, how's your 2023 going for you? 2023 so far is terrific. Yeah, it's very nice. Much better than the last few years. So, so, so far, so good. Good, good, good. All right. You'll tip wood. It'll play that way. That's fine. Um, and are you, you know, are, are you still creating languages left, right and center? I mean, like looking at your bibliography of languages, it seems like, you know, oh, it's Tuesday. I'll write another language. <laughs> no, it's, it's very much slowed down. It's very much slowed down from from, you know, a bunch of years ago. It hasn't gone away. Uh, primarily, uh, my, my biggest output, I suppose, is Klingon, but it's not so much for the TV shows. You know, there's mm. five of them. You know, it's not it's not so much for them as it is for the speakers of Klingon you know, around the world. So, so that keeps going. And every once in a while, I get a strange email or a phone call from somebody that needs something, but not, not anywhere near as much as before. Would you have legitimately, do you have many people who will reach out to you in pure Klingon? Uh, occasionally at a convention, someone will come up and say something. And occasionally at the end of an email, someone will sign off in Klingon or something like that. Uh, so I could, I certainly understand the temptation. Full disclosure. Uh, I know Kapla, um, and, and and words like that. So I, um, I I struggle with languages anyway. I say that as a, I only speak English, and I've lived in Ireland my entire life. So you know, <laughs> well, I, I say I'm, the same thing. I only speak English, and I've lived in America my entire life. So oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Okay, so only speaking English and living in America your entire life. What, I mean, this is probably a question you get asked all the time. What interests you about language? Like, what brought you to the study of linguistics? What brought me to the study of linguistics was a, was a class I had in college, uh, which I think, I, I went where I went to, to college was a brand new campus. I was there the second year of its existence. Uh, and I think the faculty of this course that everybody had to take through the course together the weekend before the students showed up. Hmm. Um, and we'll, and that could have been a disaster, but it turned out to be really good because what it was, or I don't, again, I don't know what it was intended to be, but what it was, was an introduction to the faculty and an introduction to various disciplines. So there was a common theme of language in it. But one week it was taught by a professor of linguistics, but another week it would be a professor of history, and another week philosophy, and another week psychology, and so on. Uh, so we learned all these different ways of looking at language. And the one that intrigued me the most was the one uh, was when the ling linguistics professor was talking. So I started taking courses um, in that. And after the first year and a couple of courses, summer came, hmm. came back after the summer, and they'd already revamped the entire program in this school that was brand new. <laughs> and the course I was supposed to take next didn't exist anymore because they combined it with something else. So 
they set me up with with just was just me and the professor one on one, which is very unusual oh. for your college student. And instead of just doing classwork, you know, exercises and and so forth, he gave me some real language data to work on, and then I was hooked. Okay, and then it was really fun to figure all this stuff out. And what what I liked about it was partly the whole uh, getting to know new new cultures and history and all that kind of thing, but looking at the language structure itself, mm. the grammar and the sounds and all that, it was, and I don't mean to make this sound trivial, but it was like a great crossword puzzle. How does this all fit together? No one knows how this works. No one knows where it came from. Let's figure it out. And that's what it was. I love that though, because there is, I mean, language like any discipline, like, like for example, maths or music. I mean, if, if it doesn't work together properly, it sort of falls apart, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and language is the same way, except language has all kinds of, it works like this, except. <laughs> yes, um, I know this is such a base example, but, you know, I before E, except after C, asterisk. Right, wow. and actually, it's seldom I before E, except after C, if you look at all the words. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, was there a particular... Um, was there a particular attraction to, you've obviously done so much study in the field of Native American languages. Was that just, it's just the one that grabs your attention or was there, say, was your professor, was that their special specialty that, as well? Exactly. The, the, exactly. The, the, the data that he gave me was from American Indian language, specifically from around the area where my college was. So it was very, very local. And at the time, uh, and and that's and the, the language I ended up writing my dissertation about is is a related language to those, so it's all from that general area, which is sort of around San Francisco. Mm. Um, and at the time, there was zero speakers of those languages. Okay, the last speaker of, of any of the last, last fluent speaker died in around 1930, um, okay. and so all of my research was based on notes that an anthropologist had written down or missionaries had written down or something like that. So it was this great mystery game, hunting for clues, but I couldn't sit down with somebody and say, okay, how do you say this? How do you say that? Oh, wait a minute. I'm understanding this right. What about that? I couldn't do that. So if I'm looking at the notes and, it's, and, I, I know, and, and, and this guy, the main guy who, who, who compiled the notes and looked at was very, uh, uh, he liked to use a lot of paper and not write very much on any sheet <laughs> sometimes. Oh. So, mm. so lots of sheets of paper. <laughs> um, and I'd look on one and it would say, you know, like, like he walks. Okay. I walk. You walk. Great. I'm getting somewhere. I'm learning how to do this. The sea is green. Wait, what happened to they walk? What, what, what happened to we walk? You know, I, and I had no control over that. Um, so it was a great. It was a, a a great mystery adventure. Yeah, I mean, as the, so, I I love. I've been a history student for years, right? So I love the story of how things come together, why things are the way they are, and a lot of the times I'm happily spoiled by a lot. It's there, you know. It's the history books are there, you know. It's there. It sounds like you're stuck with this. Uh, it's a puzzle, and you have the pieces, but you don't necessarily have the picture. Exactly. Then you have to see how right. they fit together. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. Ultimately, I have clues, but as soon as you turn the page, oh well, that was wrong. Let's let's think of something else. Yeah. And lots of holes, lots of holes. When I worked on my dissertation in particular, there was a there was a I don't know two or three or four cardboard boxes filled with these notes that I had access to. The guy who who compiled these notes, in addition to the missionary stuff and some older work, mm -hmm. 
the guy who, comp who compiled these notes worked for the Smithsonian, uh, mm. the Smithsonian Institution. And most after he died, most of his notes ended up in Washington. Okay. I was at the time in California. It, it, this was in Berkeley. Mm. A couple of boxes ended up in Berkeley. And those are the, 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 the notes that I looked at. I knew there was more, but I didn't have access to it at the time. That's a bad thing for research purposes. That's a great thing for dissertation writing purposes. Oh, because really? I knew when I was done. Oh, <laughs> I, there's nothing else to look at. Okay. So I have to finish with what I've got. I could proceed afterwards and do more work. But in terms of getting that particular task done, this was great. I'm now just imagining a situation where, you know, one one day it's coming up to the deadline. You have everything all proofread, everything. You get a phone call. They're like, oh, actually, we can get another box to you. No. Right. <laughs> it's, no, no, I don't I'm want not, no, You, you have reached the answering machine <laughs> of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's that is fascinating because, of course, this is this is before like, you know, oh, you need something. Let me just send you an attachment. I mean, this is oh, this there is, is a this lot is before, of work. This is before anything. This is before any any of that kind of technology. Yeah. Yeah, all the all the work I did you know, was on little little cards, right? All kinds of information, little cards, and shuffle the cards and things like that. Um, it is like one of the I, I remember I vividly remember. So in the in the nineties, so this probably would have been the revised edition of your uh, Klingon dictionary. Well, there was the the Star Trek monthly magazine was released, and of course. I had, you know, at this point, oh, for my pocket money, can I have that, please? And we get the Klingon dictionary with this, and I remember going, "This is so cool!" I'm going. Oh, it's an actual dictionary. But it was, you know, everyone was getting a copy of it. It was great that here I was in Ireland and we had access to a copy of it. And like, but it's, you know, there's not like a go on Amazon and order it back then. You know, it was, um, I basically was just saying I had a copy of your book when I was really young and oh, I really thank liked you. it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, how did, I presume obviously these things lead one into the other. So how, how did your you know your thesis work and your work with native american languages lead you into the closed captioning uh career in in kind of a sideways way okay because i i uh fin finished up the thesis i was teaching uh linguistics at, at another campus of the university of california <laughs> in santa barbara uh and then i got a fellowship at the smithsonian in washington to get to those boxes. I was going to say, was that and, one of the, one of the, the draws there? And so on, right. Mm. Uh, and while I was there, I was also looking for a job because the thing at the Smithsonian was only going to last for a year. Gotcha. And, and the Santa Barbara job was a temporary job, so I couldn't count on that long-term. Um, and I ended up not getting a job teaching linguistics again, but I ended up getting a job doing what, what we call closed captioning, which mm. is subtitles on TV for deaf people. And, I worked there for a lot for a long time. That was actually my main source of income for all these years. Although the Klingon and stuff was on the side. Um, when I first started the closed caption, we could only do programs that were on film or on tape because we could get an advanced copy. Look of at course. it, listen to the first line, hit pause, type in what we heard, hit go, hear the next line, hit pause, type in what we heard. And so it was more complicated than that, but that's basically yeah. the procedure. But we couldn't do anything live like mm. news or sports where there was no tape, right? Um, we finally developed a way to do that. And we decided that the first program we should uh, uh, tell everybody that we, we did it on the sly a little bit, didn't tell anyone, but when, all right, we're ready to announce it. We decided the first program should be one with high publicity value mm -hmm. and relatively low probability of error in case it wasn't as good as we thought. Um, 
So we pick the Oscars. I love that. I'm sorry. It's just like, you know, that little events, you know, yeah. it's far, you know, yeah. the Oscar. Now that's my boy. But actually, I know in recent years you've had things happen left, right and centre. But for a long time, the Oscars was quite, you could depend on it. You know, go out, make your speech. You make your thank yous. You sit back right. down again. Exactly. And that, and so, you know, we picked it and, and you know, the publicity value is obvious. And the low probability of error is what you were just saying. You know, the, the show is no secret. You know, it's scripted. Except it's legit. It's legit. They don't know who's going to win. Mm. Okay. Uh, but everything other than, and the Oscar goes to so-and-so. And I'd like to thank my mother and father and acting coach and all that. Course, everything yeah. else is scripted or, or on tape or on film. Uh, so they said we could get the script. Ahead of time, and we could put all that in there. So what that meant is the whole show would be good for sure. And when the acceptance speeches came, if the, if the new live captioning technology wasn't quite what we thought, at least the rest of the show would be terrific. Sure. Okay? Sure. Okay. So that was the plan. And they said, great, this is a good idea. We'll give you a script, but the script keeps changing. We'll give it to you. And then the next day there's changes. And the next day there's changes. And this goes on and on and on at an increasing rate, the closer it gets to airtime. So someone needs to keep track to make hmm. sure you have the latest version. And I was given that job of keeping track of all this stuff. So I flew out to LA and called up the people I'm supposed to call. I guess I called the Academy. I can't remember who I called. And they said, basically, welcome to, this is a Monday morning, I remember. They said, welcome to LA. Uh, we'll have something for you Wednesday night or Thursday. So I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with nothing to do, right? Okay. Which was fine with me. I, I grew up in Los Angeles, haven't lived there for a long time, but I grew up there. So family is there and friends and so on. But I hadn't called any of my friends ahead of time because, again, this is pre-cell phone or email and everything else because I didn't sure. want to say, hi, I'm in town and I have absolutely no time to see you, right? Because I thought I was going to be working all the time. But suddenly I did have time. So I got on the phone and I'm calling friends. And one friend said, where are you calling me from right now? I said where I was. She said, oh, so that's like a mile from here. Why don't you come by for lunch? Lovely. Okay. So I went to where she works to go out to lunch with her. And where she worked was Paramount Pictures. And her boss was Harv Bennett, who was at that time the executive producer of Star Trek II, uh, which was in post-production. Then they were, they were you know, finishing things up. Filming was over. And I knew him, too, from a, from a long time ago in another context. Um, but I didn't go out to lunch with him. I went out to lunch with his, I guess her title was executive assistant or something. I don't know what anybody's title was. So she and I and another woman who was working on the film went out to lunch at the Paramount Commissary, right? Which sounds very elegant and wonderful, but there's two sides. I don't know if you've ever been. I have two no. sides to the Paramount Commissary. One is, is a regular restaurant. It's a sit-down restaurant. That's where you see the movie stars, right? And the other okay. one is cafeteria, and that's where you see the gaffers and best boys and, and things like this, mm. uh, and, and the bit players. You know, so anyway, that's where we were. Yeah. And um, in the course of the lunch conversation, the fact that I had a degree in linguistics came up. And, and the woman who I had not met before said, oh, that's really interesting because we've been talking to the linguistics department at UCLA recently. And I said, why? <laughs> that's odd. I've spent a lot of time in linguistics departments. The phones don't ring there very much. Uh, and she's, well, there's a scene in the movie in Star Trek two, I guess the, the, the secrecy things weren't quite as strict as this has become. Now, now that you say that, yeah, like, you know, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a scene in Star Trek two where Mr. Spock 
has a conversation with this with this Vulcan woman, a new character. And when they filmed the scene, the actors were speaking English because the scene, the, the script said, here's the lines. But now that we're in post-production and editing for a number of different reasons, which are very interesting, actually, you can come back to if you want, mm, uh, for a number of different reasons, everyone thinks they should be speaking Vulcan to each other rather than English. So we got the idea of getting a hold of a linguistics professor at UCLA to come and watch the scene, listen to what they said, look at their lips, and make up gobbledygook that when spoken matches the lips but sounds different. And then they would dub it in. Mm. And I said, that's, that's really smart. That's very, very clever. And hiring a linguist to do it makes sense because they understand what you do with your tongue and lips and everything to make different sounds. So they know what looks like something else and what doesn't, what you cannot see at all and all that stuff. And she said, yeah, we thought it was a good idea too, but it's turned out to be a headache. And this is 40 something years ago. And I honestly and truly do not remember what the headache was about because it was a boring headache. Okay. Okay. Playing phone tag or again, no cell phones or email or anything. So it was just the scheduling was difficult or something. Um, she said, I don't know what we're going to do. We have to have this taken care of right away. I said, what do you mean right away? She said, it's got to be done by the end of this week, which is exactly how long I was in town for the Oscars. And I said, I can do that. And my friend said, yeah, he can do that. He's got the same kind of degrees as those people at UCLA do. At that point, the associate producer walked by with his lunch. They turned to him and they said, we just solved the Vulcan problem. He said, what are you talking about? <laughs> so they told him, he said, come see me after lunch. And that's how that happened. Now, the fact that I knew Harv Bennett is not irrelevant to the story because it was ultimately his decision to hire me. So he wasn't hiring someone off the street he never heard of or whatever. Sure, yeah. I didn't go there to get a job. I went there to get a sandwich. You know? <laughs> that's, that's the worst. You go in to get a sandwich and you walk <laughs> out with new responsibilities. Right, right. That is... That is, it does strike me as well as a very Hollywood story of the 20th century. It's that it's it's not a case of it's not what you know, it's who you know, because obviously if you didn't know what you knew, there would be there wouldn't be a job. Um, and yet, as I say, as simple as a conversation in a canteen has led to you becoming the the name, the go to name when it comes to languages in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, very strange. Very strange. So I ended up, they showed me the scene from the film. Hmm. Uh, and I wrote down what they were saying and looked at their lips um, and made up gibberish. And then the next day, uh, had to go in to coach uh, uh, Savik. Right? Of course, yeah. Right? Because this is a short little scene with Spock and Savik. Uh, it was a it was a woman who I'd never heard of before named Kirstie Alley. It was one. This is like her first job, her first big job yeah. in Hollywood. Uh, so she and I are working together on that. And right, actually, right right before we went over to do that, the this associate producer says, "You know, in Star Trek the motion picture, they speak Vulcan." And I said, "Yeah." He says, "Your language should sound like that." Let's go look at. It. I said, "Why did you tell me this now? I already made up." these lines we should have done this yesterday but okay let's see let's go look again this, this is before videotapes and well they videotaped mm. technology already but they weren't in mass distribution like later um so they show me the scene 
and I'm listening carefully to the Vulcan because right, right, the, the, the second scene in Star Trek, the motion picture is Spock undergoing or trying or maybe undergoing the Kolinar thing. Um, so I'm listening, I say, what am I hearing that you can't see on the lips that I can kind of sprinkle in there and not louse up what I've done? Mm. And what I heard was <sighs> kinds of sounds, which are made yep. back here, you can't see them. I said, good, let's put in a few of those. So we put in a few of those, didn't louse up the lip movement, working with Kirstie Alley. And I hear, and as we're rehearsing sort of, uh, I hear a conversation in the other side of the room between the uh, associate producer and Nick Meyer, right? The mm -hmm. director. And Nick says, I don't know if this Vulcan language is gonna work. And the producer says, why, why? Nick says, I don't think Vulcan should sound like Yiddish. And of course, what he was hearing was, <laughs> which I just put in. <laughs> oh. Producer said, let's try it. Let's just try it. Okay. So we tried it, you know, and we had to took a few takes because she had to match up the lips with and all that. Mm. And so when they played it back, of course, you know, the, uh, Leonard Nimoy wasn't there. So what it was is Sabic would say something in Vulcan and Spock would reply in English and, she would mm. say something in Vulcan as far as anyway, everyone liked it. Oh, good. Great. We get to keep it. Uh, Friday of that week, I went back uh, to do the same thing with Leonard Nimoy. And now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> I didn't know Kirstie Alley, but I know who Leonard Nimoy is. Yeah. <laughs> I got there on time. The, the engineer got there on time. Whoever brings the donuts got there on time. And, I'm in, and Leonard got there on time. So I'm in a room with me and Mr. Spock and Donuts, and I figure I know who he is. He he doesn't know who I am. So I introduce myself. He says, "Oh yeah, yeah, I knew you. I knew you. They were. They said you would be coming. You know, show me what I've got to do." So we went through the lines, and he he would say things like, "Okay, now if I change this to this, will that still work as far as lip movements are concerned?" I said. Yeah, he says, okay, let's change that. Because you can realize this is all gibberish. It doesn't mean anything. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. So to make a change, sure, go ahead. Here's about this line here. If I change this to this, will that mouse up the lip movements? Yeah, okay, we'll leave that alone, right? So we did that. Uh, and at that point, I had Oscar work to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I left and I'm driving to the Oscars, realizing that I had just taught Mr. Spock how to speak Vulcan. <laughs> this is amazing. And I honestly and truly thought, you know, what could be better than this? Right. But this is the end of my career with movies and Star Trek and all that stuff. That's okay. That's okay. This is a good thing. Uh, and then about a year and a half later, uh, Harv called and said, well, we've decided to make another movie. The villains are going to be the Klingons. He said, I think, meaning Harv thinks, that they ought to have their own language. You did Vulcan. You want to do Klingon? And that's, that's how Klingon came about. So the idea of having a Klingon language at all was not mine. You know, it, was, it was Harv's. Or, or whoever you know, wrote Star Trek, the motion picture, because it really started there. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's kind of, yeah, because going back, there's the few, line, there's the few words uh, that were in that first scene of the motion right. picture as well. And and how much, by the sounds of it, I'd say quite a bit, but I was going to say, how much did that scene influence then your work on Star Trek III? Oh, a lot. Mm. A lot, because that, that was the basis of the language. In, in the original series, right, um, 
there's not a word of Klingon spoken if you don't count people's names. Right? Mm. We know there's such a thing as a Klingon language. That's what they call it, Klingonese, because in trouble with tribbles, right? Uh, just before the barroom brawl breaks out, right? Yeah. Guy says, you know, the, the, what you, was, I don't forget the exact quote, but the enterprise is built like a garbage scow. Uh, everybody knows that. That's why half the quadrant is learning to speak Klingonese, right? But he doesn't speak Klingonese. He only speaks English. Yeah. But anyway, we know there's such a language. In Star Trek, the motion picture, the opening scene is the three Klingon ships. And we see inside, I guess, the main one hmm. and the captain, commander, whatever his rank is, uh, is barking out commands in this new strange language with subtitles. That's the beginning of Klingon. Okay, that, that's the start. Uh, those lines uh, were sort of uh, the result of the work of, of, of three people. Okay. Uh, the original Klingon lines were, were to be made up, were actually were made up uh, by a guy from UCLA, <laughs> another guy from UCLA. <laughs> Uh, named Harmut Scharf, I think. Uh, and his lines ended up not being used for some reason or other. Mm. Uh, and the line, but although they may have influenced what ended up in there. And the lines that, that did end up getting used were made up by one of the producers named John Polville and mm. by James Dillon, right, who played Scotty. Uh, and, and they were spoken by Mark Leonard. So, so the lines were created by a, a Federation engineer and spoken by a Romulan. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. so uh, I listened to those lines, uh, wrote down, wrote, you know, wrote, wrote them down phonetically as, as best I could, uh, wrote down what the, what the lines meant, not what the words meant, because I didn't know what the words meant. I only knew what the sure. line meant. Uh, I said, okay, these are the sounds. This is the basic uh, syllable structure of the thing. Um, you had to decide. There was there, there was one one line in there uh, as chayush like that. Is that one word or two words or three words? I don't know. Yep. <laughs> you know. And if it's if it's two words, is it one syllable then two or two syllables then one? I don't know. So I just imposed a structure on it. Okay, chayush cha is one word. Yerush is another word. Just because, because you have yeah. to do, you have to start somewhere. And then I built up from there. So yeah, the, so the basic, basic sound of the language, not the grammar, but the basic, basic sound of the language comes exactly from Star Trek, the motion picture. I added a bunch of sounds to it, but that was the start. Then going into, I suppose this would be true of any project where you have to create a spoken language, but going into Star Trek three, having that, was that great to have and also would you have preferred to just start from a blank slate it yeah it was it was great to have because i had somewhere to somewhere to begin as opposed to just everything out i mean since then with with other languages i would start with with pretty much a blank slate hmm. but for this first effort it was really nice because that because the original button doesn't count that wasn't that that was a different kind of, of creation than this lip syncing thing yeah, it was nice to have sort of an anchor point, uh, a way to, to get into it and get going and build on, right? And plus, it had to match. Yep. This Klingon in that ship really said that stuff, so that counts. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. For example, yes, it's, uh, as you say, it's not as you say, a lip sync over later on. Right. Um, plus, of course, I would never dream of changing Mark Leonard's words. Uh <laughs> 
I didn't know when I when I was working on on, on Klingon at that time um, that Jimmy Doohan had done it or any, or anything like that. And the way I found out was during the filming of Star Trek Three. Right, all this work was done for Star Trek Three. This sounds silly, but it was absolutely true. One day I was hanging out on the Genesis planet. <laughs> and so was Mark Leonard. I don't know why, I don't know why Mark was there because he wasn't in any of those scenes, but he happened he to be. He wasn't actually, day. was he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and the filming of the of the scenes on the Genesis planet, you know, usually in a, in a, when, when you film a movie, you film all the scenes that take place in a certain location uh, at the same time, regardless of where they come in the film. Mm. Right. But for the Genesis planet, they had to film it in story order because the planet is falling apart. So after a successful you know, set of takes, they pause and destroy the planet a little bit. Then they do some more stuff, pause, and destroy the planet a little bit more. And they, so they couldn't put it back together again. Once it's done, it's done. Right? So they had to, do it in, had to do it in that order. So it took a long time to, uh, to, to film those scenes because of that. So anyway, we're, we're hanging around there, and and I didn't know him. He didn't know me, but uh, he looked over at me and he said, "Hi," you know. He says, "I'm Mark." I said, "Hi, I'm Mark too." Oh, good, you know. <laughs> and he basically said, not using these words, something along the lines of, "What are you doing here? You know, you know what's your mm-hmm. connection to the film?" So I told him. He says, "Oh, you know, in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, I spoke Klingon lines." I said, "Yeah, I know." And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a sheet of paper. And on this paper were his Klingon lines written out. So all the, and I recognized them from, from the film. And then there was a whole lot more. Okay. Okay. Lines. And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, and John Povell and Jimmy Doohan made, made these up and da 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 and here's what they are. But I'm looking and I'm thinking, what are all those other lines? Did I miss that in the film somehow? Is my language now gonna be wrong? You know, yeah. looking. So I went back, <laughs> I went back to the motion picture to watch it again, to see what I'd missed, you know? And it turns out there is more Klingon than those few little introductory lines of him barking out commands. They're in a, in a Federation, I don't know, listening post or something. Yeah. And they're monitoring these Klingon d- distress calls or whatever you want to call them. And there's Mark on the screen babbling away but you can't hear him oh thank god (laughs) i was very relieved i was i was very relieved although it came back to haunt me because years later years later uh there was at the smithsonian in washington Hmm. it was the 20th or 25th or something anniversary of star a zero or a five year anniversary of star Hmm. trek so at the smithsonian uh there was a star trek exhibit that they'd mounted that was there for a bunch of months. And they realized ahead of time that this exhibit was probably going to be popular. Hmm. So they enlisted a bunch of volunteer guides or docents or, you know, people from the community to just keep, uh, keep tabs on crowds and things like that. When it was all over, they wanted to give a big thank you party. Okay. And they invited me to the party. I did uh, just cause uh, they invited me to the party. And then I knew ahead of time that this, uh, one of the guests was going to be Mark Leonard. Uh, and I also knew ahead of time, that, and, and that was announced. Everybody knew that. Mm-hmm. I also knew ahead of time that one of the guests was going to be Major Barrett, but that was a secret. 
Oh, okay. And the way it was supposed to work is they'd come out and the Smithsonian people would thank everybody and so on and so forth. And now here's Mark Leonard and Mark would talk for a little while and then he would say somehow, and now here's surprise, surprise, here's Major Barrett. Uh, I happen to be sitting in the front row and I'm watching this and here's Mark and he talks for a little while and he's getting towards the end. And because I was in the front row, I could hear this kind of whispering behind the scenes a little bit. Someone said, where's Majel? Oh, no. Where's Majel? She knew, everyone knew she was in town. They'd seen her and talked with her, but she wasn't there. Where's Majel? And they said to Mark, keep going. Hmm. And he tried to think of other things to say. So we talked a little while longer. He kind of looked around and said, keep going. And he's looking, trying to figure out what to do. And he spies me in the front row. Hmm. He says, <laughs> Oh, look who's here. And he brings me up on stage. Mark and he reaches into his pocket and pulls up this sheet of paper. And he says, I'll say the line in Klingon and you say what it means. Of course, there was all this gibberish Klingon that no one had ever heard. So fortunately, about that point, Majel showed up. Oh, thank Oh, my goodness. That that feels like they conspired together. That's that uh -huh. that's what that feels like. Right, we'll get him a seat in the front row. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is that's. I thought now, now I'm just thinking, did Mark just always travel with that piece of paper Actually, in his pocket? Actually, there's more stories about Mark and that piece of paper. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. That is, I mean, because I'm sure there's maybe you know the fact that it's movie scripts, very meaningful. I I totally respect. It's just the fact that these two times that he's talking to. The inventor of the Klingon language, it was like, oh, look what I happen to have. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I, one, of the, yeah. one, one of the other times there was a, a, a Star Trek cruise someplace. I wasn't oh, yeah. on it. But uh, one of the people who was on it is a guy named Lawrence Schoen, who is the head of what's called the Klingon Language Institute. Okay. People who study Klingon very, very seriously. And, and Lawrence was on the cruise, as was Mark Leonard. And they got to talking about something or other. Uh, Lawrence, besides being a linguist as a psychologist, and they were talking about some, some stuff that Mark was interested in from that point of view and so on. And when it was over, Mark said, uh, Lawrence told me this story. You know, Mark said, oh, I'd like to thank you. He says, what, what can I do to thank you? He says, how about if I give you this? And he pulls out a piece of paper from his pocket and here's the Klingon lines and he gave them to Lawrence. So now Lawrence is in possession of these, of these lines. That is that is amazing. I mean, that's a piece of history, and it's got yeah. so much stories connected to it, um, and 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 would be, of course, so meaningful to someone like Lawrence, who you know, Klingon is his uh, this this huge point of study. Um, that's incredible. I'm sorry, I'm, I I love that Smithsonian story. Um, that is brilliant. Um, did you did you ever find when things and I'm, maybe I'm skipping ahead in the story slightly, but when things like the Klingon Language Institute like begin and you know it starts to be taken because it is taken quite seriously i mean it's not you know in the same way that for example tolkien scholars study you know elvish and dwarvish were you ever a bit overwhelmed or did it did it come in such stages that it was hmm, that's okay there's entire line i mean like yes it's studying klingon but they're studying my work overwhelm is is a good word yeah okay yeah, and I had no idea what was going on at first. Okay. Uh, when, we, when, when we were working on Star Trek Three, 
Um, I was I was on the set on Star Trek Three. Every time anybody speaks Klingon, almost not a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time, most of the time when you see someone speaking Klingon, I'm just out of the frame, right? Um, but not always. But anyway, I was there for for a month or something while we were doing all this, hmm. and during that time, the crew would come up to me, meaning the filmmaking crew. Uh, would come up to me and say, oh, you're the language guy. Yeah, say something in Klingon. I'd say, what should I say? They'd say, say, hello, how are you? I'd say, a Klingon would never say that. Go, ha, 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 and so on. Anyway, I, I realized that, or, or, or kind of got the idea that if the crew, the filmmaking crew, and they've seen everything, they've been around for so long, all of them, right? Uh, they're not, nothing phases them. But if they're interested in this, there are people out there who at the time I only had a, a vague familiarity with called hmm. Star Trek fans. They might be interested. So I proposed the idea of writing a book explaining how, how this language works. Uh, and a lot of stuff happened. And then the powers that be said, yes, you know, do that. Uh, so I did. And uh, when you write a book, uh, you you hope that people will buy it. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> and what I honestly thought would happen with this book is, again, I hope people would buy it. And then they would pick it up and kind of thumb through it and say, oh, look, here's the Klingon word for shoe, ha ha, and put it down on the table. And then from time to time, pick it up again. And say, I wonder how you say dilithium, you know, or whatever. Mm. But it would be used in that way. And I was right about people buying it. I mean, it wasn't Excellent. huge, huge numbers, but good enough at the time of the very beginning. Um, I was wrong about how people were going to use it because they did read it and reread it and cover analyze cover. it, right? Yeah. And then you can, you can find on the web a list of all the typos and, the, and all this stuff uh, and this whole language-speaking community, Klingon-speaking community developed. I didn't know that was going on. Okay, until I got a call or an email or something or other from this Lawrence Schoen person who said he's the head of something called the Klingon Language Institute. And I said, what's that? Oh, yeah, we study Klingon and we do this. And we have a journal and we have meetings and so on. That's the first time I'd heard uh, or realized that people were paying attention to it, you know, which was, not- which was kind of a surprise. Now, in retrospect, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. Because, you know, it's Star Trek. Um, but I was at that point. Well, I think so, so because I think, yes, now we as Trekkies, we certainly, we are known for being passionate. You know, we are known for, you know, when we commit, we commit 150%. Um, like, uh, one only needs to look at my wardrobe and the amount of uniforms I have to know that, you know, kind of, oh, Sean took this when I went running. But even at the time, you know, it's not like it's not like the internet was there to share all of these ideas and you know these the conventions. I think were more or less still they were maybe not their infancy, but they were pre pre adolescence at this point. Yeah, the book the book originally came out was supposed to come out exactly the same time as Star Trek Three came out, mm. uh, and there was a delay in publication for bureaucratic reasons. Not not bad, just things just, just things happen. Yeah, things happen. Okay, so it came out, I don't know, six months later or something like that. But anyway, that was, I guess, 1984, 85, something Four, like eight, that. Yeah. Um, the book was reissued in the early 90s, 91 or 92, mm. with additional material from Star Trek V and VI and Next Gen. 
Gotcha. Um, at that point, the internet was up and running. Here Meaning, we go. I mean, it was up and running before, but more and more people yeah. had it. And so I, I honestly believe that, that one of the reasons the Klingon caught on the way it did in terms of speaker community is because of the internet. Yeah. People were able to find each other in a way that they couldn't have before the internet. You, you might have been interested by yourself and maybe your friend across the street, but that's it. You had no easy way of finding, of finding other people on, on an ongoing basis. But with the internet, you could. And, and that's exactly what happened. And then once the Klingon Language Institute got going, that was all, you know, finding people, found, people found each other on the internet and stuff originally. And then it grew from there. Um, and, you know, things like, you know, the Klingon Shakespeare performances, um, which, I mean, obviously, they must be somewhat inspired by Undiscovered Country. Um, oh, 100% inspired by Undiscovered uh, Country, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One of my favorite lines is you haven't experienced Klingon or you haven't experienced Shakespeare until you've read him in the original Klingon. Yeah, there's a whole story about that, too. But what happened with that is in the script for Star Trek Six, no, first draft, mm. uh, there was a lot of Shakespeare quotes. Some were to be in English, some were to be in Klingon. I think mm. probably all spoken by Chang, you know, yeah. uh, but there was a bunch. And as script revisions kept coming out, some of them went away. Like, and that, that's not bad. That's what you- Yeah, like, you know, just- Things change all over the place. Um, and eventually there was zero Shakespeare in Klingon left in the script. There was still Shakespeare lines that, that he would cite. But, no, but none no of them was- in they were Not in Klingon, they were, they were, they were all in English. I'd already, um... made up, already made up, I'd already made up, you know, a way to say petard in Klingon because, <laughs> but it, it got cut out. Anyway, I arrived at the set one day. The first person I happened to run into was Nick Meyer. Yet again, Nick Meyer. Yeah. And he said, oh, I'm glad you're here. I need one more line in Klingon. I said, okay. What is it? He said, to be or not to be. I, just, I knew it was going to be that one. <laughs> and I said, okay. Because that's what I'm supposed to say. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. Because... <laughs> If you if you look in the Klingon dictionary and read the grammatical description, oh god, Klingon, okay. there's no verb to be. It doesn't exist. Oh god! And I was not about to change that for two reasons: one, because there's a good reason in my mind that it's not there, and two, it says in the book <laughs> that it's, it's not there. There's so, not one there. There's, there's there's nothing you can do. I said, all right, all right. What if what if it's instead of saying to be or not to be, it means to live or not to live. Nick says, that's fine. Go tell Chris. Well, Chris is Christopher Plummer, right? Mm. So I go over to Christopher Plummer. Christopher, oh, oh, oh. so the way to say to live, or, uh, to live or not to live, there's probably a whole bunch of different ways grammatically I could have done it, but I, done it re I did it very, very simply, which is live or live not. I had to use the dictionary. The dictionary, the, when I did Star Trek Three. I could make stuff up as I'm going along. Yeah. But by the time the book came out, I'm stuck with the book. I could make up stuff that's not in the book, but if sure. it is in the book, I had to go by the book. Okay. So the, in the book, the word for live is yin, or is par, then live again, and not is, or the negative thing is bet, yin par, yin bet, live or live not. Let's go to Christopher Plummer. He says, how do you say the line? I said, Yin pa, yin bet. 
And he goes, yin? I said, yeah. He goes, that's too wimpy. Think of something else. That's not what he said. I'll tell you what he really said if you want, but that's that's what he meant. <laughs> oh, oh, you, oh, you can tell me what he really said. That's, that's okay. fine. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that in a second. Uh, uh, so I'm thinking, now what am I going to do if I can't say yin? And, and have it mean the right thing. I said, what, what if it, what if we say, what if we say, and he goes, Tach is good. Let's keep Tach. Okay. Up until that moment, Tach was a suffix that meant to continue doing whatever the verb is. So walk plus Tach means continue walking, keep on walking. So I kind of promoted it to be a full verb, sort of. Right. To mean to continue to go on to endure so tach pach tach to go on or not to go on to continue or not to continue to endure or not to endure, and that was the line in the film. Now I didn't know where it fit in the film at that point because it wasn't supposed to be in Klingon originally, so I didn't even look at that page, mm. you know. But it ended up in the scene that you just talked about, where where uh, the, the you know Gorkhan, the leader of the Klingon Empire, says, "I'd like to propose a toast." You know, to the undiscovered country, and everyone has a blank sparse, a uh, blank expression. And Spock says, oh, Hamlet, Act Three, Scene One. I don't know if the numbers are right, you know, because it's part of the, that phrase, undiscovered country, is part of the to be or not to be speech. Mark hmm. says, You can't really appreciate Shakespeare until you've read him in the original Klingon. <laughs> Christopher Plummer says, Tach, Pach, Tach, And that's how it, that's how it feels. What he said when he didn't like Ian was, There, uh, what he said was, yin yin. He says that sounds too much like the Goon Show. Do you know what the Goon Show is? I don't. That's <laughs> that's what I said. The Goon Show was a BBC radio show in okay. the fifties, maybe early sixties. Comedy show uh, predates Monty Python. Probably gave birth to Monty Python in many ways. Okay. Uh, very funny. Very funny. Very strange and silly and out there. Uh, they had one popular song in the 50s, a, a hit, uh, called the Ying Tong song, I think. And the lyrics to the song were Ying Tong, Ying Tong, Little I Po, Ying Tong, Ying Tong, Little I Po, Ying Tong, Ying Tong. That was the lyrics. Okay. Okay. And that's, and that's what he was hearing. <laughs> and then once, once you hear that, I think it would be okay. Right, that's it forever. We're definitely going with something else. So, yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, j- j- just going back, just a tiny little bit. Um, the, the 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 what what was the reason that they decided to do the Vulcan lip sync over? You said that there was production reasons behind that. Ah, yeah. Okay. The reason that they did it is because they cut what they told. The part of this is they told me, and part of this I figured it out. Gotcha. Um, what they told me is they cut some lines out from that scene uh, that had to do with the relationship of, of uh, Spock and, and Savik on, on the one hand and the rest of the crew or the rest of the Federation, maybe, on the other hand. Okay. Um, and they wanted to... And what, and what the lines say, basically, because they're in the original script, um, is Spock is telling is telling Savik and Savik's the new kid on the block, right? Talk, Spock is telling her that they're always going to be outsiders. We're always going to be different. 
you just have to learn how to how to how to tolerate that basically but that's not going to change you have to learn how to incorporate that into how we deal with everything that got cut out okay but they wanted to introduce the fact that these that these two characters are somehow a little different a little outside of everything else and have a special bond together and they thought doing that in this linguistic way would be a way to kind of signal that since they since they cut out the cut up the thing that's one reason the other reason is they ch changed one of the lines okay okay all they changed was the tense okay the, oh, okay. the, the original the, the scene is uh that kirk comes aboard the enterprise to do an inspection he's admiral kirk right? comes aboard the ship to do an inspection uh and he has a short little conversation with with, with spock and Savik, and then he goes off uh, to continue the inspection and Savik turns to Spock as originally scripted and she says he's not what I expected and Spock says what what did you expect I'm, I'm paraphrasing hmm. uh, she says well he's so human and Spock says we can't all be perfect you know something like that um the line in the script was he's not what I expected which implies that she's never met him before. She's yes. heard about him, but she's never met him before. Of course, Dave. But we know, yes, in the Kobayashi Maru. My theory is that the scene with the Kobayashi Maru either was not in the film originally, or was somewhere else in the film. Okay, I have, I, I I remember hearing someone on that, and this could be apocryphal. But I remember hearing so it was to do with the leak of the big mm -hmm. ending mm -hmm. that this scene was then sort of kind of well oh you've all heard this is going to happen but I bet you're not expecting it first thing exactly. are you exactly and I, I I've heard the same thing so they put it in and therefore her saying he's not what I expected makes no sense so the subtitle says he's never what I expect hmm okay and so it's now it makes sense. Change. Like it's a, it's a oh. subtle change, but it but it but it now makes more sense. Actually, with, with talking talking about the leak, I'd heard about the leak too. I mean, when I was out there, uh, um, you know, for the Oscars, I mean, I I I knew what's going on with Star Trek. Meaning, I knew what, what the scuttlebutt was, not from any inside information, but just the same as everybody else. Sure. Um, so you know, so I had I had friends who were working on the film, but I, I had no in, no insight at all into anything. Um, but I'd heard about this thing, Spock dies. Really? No, you know, all that. So when we went in to do the the the, the looping, the dubbing with Leonard Nimoy to do this this Vulcan lines, they said to me, We want to do one other scene with him first, and then we'll get to the Vulcan. Is that okay? Can you wait while we do that? Sure. So I'm just sitting there while they do it. And what this scene was, I had no idea what the plot of the movie is at all. Even the, even the scene I made up the lines for, I don't know what's going on. Um, and what it was, we're on, we're on the bridge of what looks like the Enterprise or some similar ship. Uh, and Savik is in command. And, oh, and Spock is there and Bones is there. And there's an attack and the Klingons are coming and do this, do that, and the other thing, right? And the Klingons attack and Spock gets hit, right? And he falls, falls back and apparently dies. And I'm watching this 
I'm going, it's true. It's true. The rumors are true. I'm seeing this. <laughs> wow. I know something that nobody else knows. Right. <laughs> so when I actually saw the movie, you know, when the movie came out, I, I didn't go to a preview or anything. I saw it in the theater like everybody else. And it turns out to be the Kobayashi Maru thing. Oh my, I think I think I was thrown for a loop more than most people were. That's because I can just I imagine. I, I, I can imagine if you were there with someone or even people who are around you in the cinema, just you know, everyone will react when you know the console explodes and Spock falls right. down. But like, why is he reacting before any of this has happened? Why right. are you going, <laughs> what? I know what you've done here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is that's gas. And obviously, I mean. You're you're still uh, the Kelpian language. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to full disclosure now. That was something I discovered in my research today. So um, that is fantastic. I mean, so you're there. You know, you're both legacy and you know. I suppose I, I tend to use modern. Maybe streaming era is a better dis, uh, uh-huh. description. Um, have you found? Has there been? what's it like behind the scenes for you is it very different or is it very similar to how it how it was oh it, it's different it's it's different uh in, in two ways one is uh and this is probably more because of covid <laughs> than oh, anything of course, else yeah. everything is remote control all the stuff i've done after the movies uh has has been sitting at home and being on skype or something or other okay so you know so even with with calpian I mean, one day uh, is working with Doug Jones mm. on my Doug Jones is on my screen and, and I'm listening to the director and I'm in one city and he's in another city. The director's in another city and the sound recorder is in another city. I don't know how it all works. It all does, you know, it all, it all comes together. So it's a very different thing. So I haven't worked one-on-one uh, with anybody since uh, the original cast piece. That is, it is. It's fast, and and as you say, I mean, it. I'd say COVID I mean, has person, played. Person, yeah. Of course, of course, yeah. Um, I think if it sounds weird to say the good thing about COVID, because no, thank you, but it has helped us all. I think work more remotely, and that remote work has become more streamlined. That it works a little bit better. Yeah. Um. I mean, and obviously, I mean, the proof was in the pudding. You know, we were able to mm-hmm. watch these people speaking Kelpie and we're like, oh, yeah, that works for me. I buy it. If I'm going to buy yeah. Klingon, this works for me. <laughs> um, yeah. The other thing, the other thing that's happened that's different from when I was doing it originally uh, is now, well, ever since Klingon, meaning the, 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 from Star Trek three times and maybe Star Trek five and six times already. Yeah. From all that. Uh, ever since that, and not because... Klingon is so wonderful as a language, not because it has nifty relative clauses or something or other, but I think because it's Klingons and Star Trek, Klingons mm-hmm. as characters and Star Trek. Ever since then, uh, movie makers, TV uh, program makers, if there's uh, an alien race or a, or a mythological ancient human race or something or other, they've got to have their own language. And that wasn't true before. Before they go, you know, everything, everyone's running around and everybody is speaking English. Everywhere, wherever you go, if it's an English language thing, everyone is speaking English all over the place. You just kind of accept that. But now you can, or, or there's a little bit of gobbledygook. Hmm. But you can't do that anymore. Now it's real languages all over the place. So there are, you know, a friend of mine, uh, David Peterson in Hollywood, who's made up the languages for Game of Thrones and a bunch of other things. Of His full-time job basically is making up languages for TV and movies. And there's a handful of people who do this, including for Klingon now. 
So in Discovery, which has more Klingon than anything, yeah, the first season of Discovery, especially the, the, op- the opening scene in Discovery, brand new Star Trek TV show, is what ten minutes or something of Klingon, right? Uh, I didn't do that. It's it's all my words. It's all my grammar. Mm. But somebody else did the translation. It's one of the one of the is a woman named Robin Stewart who lives in Canada. She's an excellent, excellent speaker of Klingon, and she did that. And uh, for uh, some episodes where she wasn't available, this guy in in Indiana named Alan Anderson, he did, and he's another excellent speaker. And so on. So different people are doing it, um, and they've got a. a stable of, I don't know, four or five people to make up languages. I'm one of a number now of people doing it because this whole idea of language construction in the movies caught on after Klingon. In fact, when, when the, ne- the next big one after Klingon uh, was Navi in Avatar. Oh, yes, of course. And How many right- think about it? There's- Quite a gap. I mean, that's what nearly twenty something years. Because I think yeah. Avatar Navi is two thousand nine. Two thousand nine, right? Mm-hmm. Two, yeah, two thousand nine is was the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek and Avatar mm-hmm. about the same time. Uh, and I worked on I worked on that movie, J.J. Abrams movie, but not Klingon. That was Romulan and Vulcan. Because I, uh, I was going to say, like, you're the big three. You've got Vulcan, yeah. Klingon, and Romulan all on. Oh, we'll come back to Romulan too. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, at, at the time before Avatar came out, but everyone knew it was, it was coming, right? It was advertised and everything already. J.J. Uh, Abrams said that Avatar has this new language in it that's going to out-Klingon Klingon, he said. I don't know what that means exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, And it's a terrific language. Navi is wonderful. As, as a, it sounds good and it's, and it's grammatically very interesting and all that stuff. Um, but it was the beginning of this thing about no, you got to have a real language. You got to have a real language. You got to do it right. And it's, and it's. I imagine that could legitimately now be quite daunting for any potential filmmaker, showrunner who wants to go into say sci-fi or fantasy, and you need to put time aside. You know, mm-hmm. it's like okay, well, we're not just going to have them spouting, you know, things that sound good in the moment. Right. Because right. people will be analyzing this. People yeah, will be going, yeah. oh, you're the one show that didn't make the... Yeah, that, the yeah. A good example of that, although it's, it's Klingon again, is um, uh, Star Trek, J.J. Uh, Abrams, Star Trek Into Darkness, the mm. middle movie, uh, which is the only one that has Klingon in it. The first movie had Klingon in it, but the scene got cut out early. Yes, early of course, yeah. Um, the, the middle movie has... has Klingons in it, but also one scene of speaking Klingon. It used to have more, of course, because that's movies do that. So I made up a bunch of lines of Klingon for the original script, Uh, sent them off. I was not on set for that. There was another guy who they hired, who who I know, who coached the actors, and they did a a fine job, as far as I know. Um, Then months go by, because this is the way movies, movie making Mm. works. Months go by. And I get a call or email or something from, from the, 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 the Into Darkness folks. And they say, um, they've edited the scene where they speak Klingon so much that it doesn't make sense anymore. In oh, other words, wow. they, they move things or switch things around, cut a line halfway through and spliced it together with the beginning of yet another line. 
and so on. So it all uh, uh, looks different, and the, and what the language that's there does is is all nonsense. So they realized they were doing this, and said, "All right, we have three options. One is we shoot the scene all over again, and and have have it be right. It was Uhura mostly, Zoe Saldana, yeah. mostly, mostly her, and have you know have her come in and do it again. That's not going to happen. Hmm. Or we can forget about it and just let it go and have the beginning of one line match with the end of another line. Once upon a time, maybe you could get away with that, but not anymore. And they realize that. Or we can see if, if I can create new Klingon lines that match the lip movements of the Klingon already filmed and mean what the new subtitles say. So they asked me if I could do that. And I said, I don't know. And the, 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 the trick here is unlike that Vulcan, originally the Vulcan, it didn't have to match anything uh, uh, vocabulary-wise or grammar-wise. Mm. And for the Klingon, I can make up new words, but I can't make up new grammar. So that, that was the tricky part. So they said, well, let, let us send you the scene, look at it, and tell us what you think. So they sent me the thing in some super encrypted way. I don't know how this... Oh through all the, all the levels of security, but I got it. Uh, and I watched it and it's mostly Uhura talking and I'm listening to her and I, oh yeah, there's, the, I remember made up that line. Oh, that's from another sentence I made up for her. Oh, that came later and stuff like that. But I see what they did, right? I, I think I can cope with that. Okay. And then there's a Klingon guy who has basically one line mm. and I'm listening to him and I'm saying, I don't understand a word he's saying. I understood her, even though it was kind of all jumbled up. I didn't understand him at all. And I'm listening. And I said, so Zoe did such a wonderful job as the same coach. Mm. Why did this guy do such a bad job? I said, it doesn't even sound like he's talking Klingon. It sounds like he's talking backwards. Oh. So I looked at the lines that I'd made up. And I said, I think it's this one. And I wrote it out backwards and then listen to him, and that's exactly what it was. So I called up the, the movie folks, and I said, are you running the film backwards? It's not film, you know, but are you running this yeah. backwards? And they said, they said, yeah. And I said, why? They said, it looks better, and we knew we are going to change the audio anyway. So what I had to do is make up Klingon that – meant what the subtitle said that matched the lips of some guy talking Klingon backwards. Oh my God. You th you'd think that they might have told you that in advance. <laughs> if there was one thing, they yeah. might have said, oh, yeah. this one might stand out. But the point of the story is not so much that, although I think that's a unique thing in movie making. That, I, that, yeah. yeah. But, but, but the, point, the point is that they said, no, we can't, just let it, we can't just let it go. We have to get it right. And that's, and that's a change from when I, when I started doing all this. That is, I mean, as a as a fan, as a Trekkie, I'm delighted to know that that amount of detail and care went in, that even when editing is happening, no, this has got to make sense, and we're very aware of the fact people will analyze that. I am sure there is a moment somewhere where someone just thinks, oh, just put anything on it, these poor people. Let Mark sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for Next Generation Deep Space Nine, the Klingon in there, I, I did a... a 
couple of episodes, but mm. mostly the, the Klingon that's in there that's new uh, was made up by the writers or the producer or somebody or other. But I, if it's if it's there, if, if Worf says it in Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, that counts. So I yep. would incorporate that, but I didn't, uh, you know, come up with come up with that originally. Um, and is like obviously, so you're as I say, you've created these the these numerous languages. Um, but Klingon definitely seems to be that's that's your the big one that that's you're known one, for. Yeah. Five novels to date. Am I, I think that's correct. So five, five books, including the dictionary. Um, what, well, three uh, books, three books, ah, and three books. Into, audio tapes or whatever format they're in now yeah gotcha um do you ever just get tired of it do you're just like oh can everyone just speak english would it not just be easier <laughs> or no. conversely you know it's like oh, i've made a perfectly good romulan one why are you speaking that one yeah yeah no i don't get tired of it at all i, I think it's great i get i get a little we talked use the word overwhelmed a little earlier uh some was with some of the questions because the speakers of the language are, are some of them uh, are so into it and want to make sure they're doing it exactly, exactly right. Uh, and they ask me questions that I don't have off the top of my head answers to. And I say, ah, well, I have to think about that and so on. And that's because because of the nature of Klingon. It's different for Klingon. I think it it, it, it is probably for Navi, for Avatar, and for for some other from uh, some other languages for some of the shows. Because when I originally did Klingon, I didn't know any of this was going to happen. I mean, I didn't know that people were going to pick it up and, and 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 speak it and write novels and do operas and you know all these things uh and so what i created originally for star trek 3 is i had the script of star trek 3 mm. and i had my idea about what what to do grammatically and, and phonologically and i made up the klingon version of every line in the script where it said so and so is speaking klingon and i also made up a Klingon version of every line in the script where a Klingon was speaking English to, to another Klingon, not to Captain Kirk. Mm. Uh, just in case while we were filming, someone say, hey, why is this guy talking English to this other Klingon? He should be talking Klingon. I could say, here, say this, right? Mm. They use zero of those lines, but oh. it did, it did flesh, out, flesh out the language, but I didn't make up anything else. I didn't make up anything that wasn't needed for that script originally mm. okay um so there's lots of holes grammatically and vocabulary wise for sure and and so on now it all over time developed and developed and developed and, and there was more and more and more but I, I didn't set out at the very beginning to make everything and i liken it to making a set for a movie okay, okay for a movie yeah. set let the uh, let's say it's a house Okay, and the, 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 the action takes place in somebody's living room. And there's a, a window with the uh, curtains on it, and there's a door, and there's a whatever there is, and all that's fine. If in the plot of the movie, no one ever has to go in and out of the door, that door doesn't open. Why are they going to bother to make the door open? That doesn't mean they don't know how doors work, right? They just made it look right, right? Yeah. And it was the same thing with the language, okay? I just made up what was needed. If no one needed to say second person plural, I didn't make it up. That doesn't mean there's no such thing. Just didn't make it up. It wasn't needed. That's not the right way to make up a language. In theory, no, yeah. you're right. Get get all the, you know, get your grammar correct and then build right. everything from there. But 
yeah, I mean, by the sense, but like at, at the time, you know, someone's like, translate those words. It wasn't about creating a language. It's about creating a usable script for the film. Right. It was, it was, it was creating, it was creating a usable script and, and the language was supposed to, I mean, Harv Ben and I talked about it. It was supposed to, to sound real. And we realized that we'd make it sound real was to make it be real, but that didn't mean to make it be the OED, you know. That's, um, what was there, um, was there anyone who particularly struggled with it? Because this, there's no point of comparison at this point. You know, there's no, except for those few lines in the motion picture. You know, um, and it's a lot of you know, people like, you know, did did Christopher Lloyd ever get, you know, tongue-tied over his Klingon teeth, you know, trying to pronounce these <laughs> Actually, things? Actually, that's very funny. The first time I met Christopher Lloyd was at his, as his, at his house. Uh, I arrived in Hollywood to work for the filming part of this. Uh, and the, the moment I arrived at Paramount, they said, oh, good. Go over and meet Chris. Who's Chris? Well, he's the guy who's going to play Krug. Okay. I don't know who Chris is. Yeah. So they gave me his. He lived at the time not very far from Paramount. Hmm. So I, I went over to his house and met this guy. And we go up. To, he had a room above his garage. Um, and we go and sit up there. And so far, he hasn't said much to me besides, I mean, it was very nice. Hello, hello, that kind of stuff. But yeah, much. but he sat down, he had the script and he had uh, the lines that I'd sent. Uh, and he kind of looked at the lines, looked at me and looked at the lines. And he said, he said, or something. He said, how's that? How's that? Does that sound like good playing on? You know? And I'd say, yeah, that was good. Do this, do this, do this. We did this for a while. And then all of a sudden he said, Oh my God, I should go put in my teeth. And he went away. And I'm thinking, oh, I didn't even notice this poor man doesn't have any teeth. You know, <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> of course he has teeth. <laughs> I didn't realize he meant the, 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 the appliance for the makeup. He says, if I'm going to learn how to say this stuff, I need to be able to say it with this stuff in my mouth. Right. Then he put it in. Then we practiced. We practiced. We practiced some more. No, he really got into it. He he wanted to learn it not just phonetically. He wanted to know what the words meant and how the grammar worked and things like that. Um, and he knew well, while we were filming if if things were going right or going wrong or something like that. Because uh, the way it worked uh, for for Star Trek Three uh, is you know we, when you make a movie the director yells action mm. and the actors do their thing and then the director yells cut. And then the director checks with the camera person. Was that okay? Yeah. No, there was a shadow of a microphone. Okay. Checks with the sound person. Was that okay? Yeah. No, a truck went by. No. And if there was Klingon, he would check with me. How was the Klingon? And if the Klingon was good, I'd say, that was good. And if the Klingon wasn't good, I'd say, nah, he said it wrong. I learned not to give that second answer very often. Okay. Because they did not like the idea of shooting things over again if they didn't have to, right? So if the actor said something that sounded like Klingon, but said it wrong, but it sounded like Klingon, I'd say, that's fine. So for example, you know, if the actor was supposed to say toe, but he said two, I'd say, it's fine. From now on, the word is two. And then okay. changed it. So the language changed as a result of, of little mistakes. I could do that with Star Trek Three because no one had heard the language except for me. Right. Later on, I couldn't do that so much, but at the time, but they took it very, very seriously. Um, there's one scene where um, Krug 
Well, well, crew gives a command to one of his gunners. There's another ship out there, and he wants the gunner to shoot at the ship, mm. not destroy it. Just and 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 the the command is is target the engine only. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, she, uh, the way to say that in Klingon is is uh, I think the the line was uh, means gunner dosh. The target, it's, it's very choppy when you're giving mm. commands. Mahat, dosh, gunner, target. Jontat nech. Jontat means engine. Nech means only. Gunner, the target is just the engine. Okay. So when they shot that scene, Christopher Lloyd says, you know, mahat, dosh, like that. And the director, Leonard Nimoy is the director, right? Yells, cut, cut. You're supposed to be talking Klingon, not French. Do it again, right? So they took it. They took it seriously. They took it seriously. Then he did it again, and he said it properly. Um, of course, the gunner goofs and blows up mm. the ship, and Krug is angry, and he shoots the guy, and the guy dissolves, right? And, and Krug has two helpers, right? Two two high officers, and they Maltz and Torg. Mm. And Torg, at that point, Krug is angry, angry, angry. And, and Torg says to him, my lord. They always called Krug my lord. In that movie. Yes. Yeah. He says, my lord. And Krug is still furious. And he sw- swivels around. And he points the, the, the weapon, whatever it was, disruptor. I don't know whatever it was. Points it at Torg. And in the script, what he says is, say the wrong thing, Torg, or I'll kill you too. Uh, and then Torg has some news for him. Okay. They cut out the, the phrase, or I'll kill you too. That's, that's not in the movie anymore. But the say the wrong thing, Torg, is there. Mm. So, okay. Right before shooting that scene, Christopher Lloyd calls me over. And he said, how do you say Torg in Klingon? I didn't make up any of the names, any of the character names. That's a good point. But I'd thought about it, right? I said, okay. Uh, Krug is not Krug. It's Krug. Okay. Alts is Mat. And Torg, I told him, is Gorg. Gorg, like that. He says, okay. So we shoot the scene. The guy dissolves. Torg says, my lord. He swings around. He says, say the wrong thing, Gorg, or I'll kill you too. Dinimo yells, cut. Why are you calling my Klingon a dork? <laughs> Christopher Lloyd says, Mark told me to. Leonard says, Mark, what's the matter with Torg? I said, nothing, nothing. Torg is just fine. So they shot the scene again. Say the wrong thing, Torg, or I'll kill you too. Okay. When it's all over, Christopher Lloyd comes up to me. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I got you in trouble with the director. I said, no, it's fine. Everything is okay. He says, but did you notice? I didn't say Torg. I said Torg. I said it in Klingon. I love that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and it's 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 a sign as well of just how much they've obviously respected your work. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Um, and obviously how much Christopher Lloyd was having fun on the set as well. (laughs) Oh, that is that is that that is cool. Yeah. Um, um, in terms then of just how. I mean, you've spoken as well about how Klingon has been used on Discovery. Have you ever 
you know, in some of these, you know, I know there's been performances entirely in Klingon, particularly obviously we spoke of Shakespeare. I mean, there is a version of the RSE, which is being done in Klingon. Uh, I know there was clips of Hamlet, I think, being performed in Klingon. Yeah, to, the, to the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been a full, I mean, there's been full translations. Sure. Of some Shakespeare, because of that line. You can't really appreciate Shakespeare until you've read them in the original Klingon. You know, the members of the Klingon Language Institute have said, well, if these Shakespeare plays were originally written in Klingon, we, we owe it to the galaxy not to translate, but to restore the works of Shakespeare back to the original Klingon. Rightly so. so they've done Hamlet. They've done Much Ado About Nothing. I think they might have finished Romeo and Juliet by now. They've done some sonnets. They've done some speeches from from some other shows. As far as I know, there's never been a full performance of the entire play of any of these, of these things in Klingon, but there have been performances of scenes, yeah. Either from the movies or from, say, some of these Shakespeare ones, do you have a favorite phrase in Klingon? I wouldn't say a favorite phrase. Well, I guess to be or not to be might be a favorite phrase because of, of how, it, how it, to be, how it came to be. Um, I have a favorite word, which is cheating. Okay. Phrase. Um, when I was working on the film, when I was at Star Trek Three, because the first one, I was wondering all the time if there's going to be one word or one phrase that people are going to recognize as Klingon, even if they don't know anything else about the language or anything mm -hmm. else, maybe even about Star Trek. And there is. Okay. And and that word is kapla, right? And that's the that's the word that people know. So that that's my favorite word. Yeah. I, lo I love that. And you're right. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've spoken to people who are not Trekkies. There's there's two people I've met in my life who are not Trekkies, but no. And <laughs> everyone knows Kapla. They might not know from the context or whatever, but it is one of those words that has just kind of permeated popular culture. And if you look you know, in online and in, in the urban dictionary, dictionaries of slang and stuff like that, it's in there. It's Yes. It's spelled, it's spelled K-A-P-L-A or some strange way. But anyway, it's there. Yeah. Does it, um, d d does it ever kind of make your eye kind of twitch when you see someone butchering a word or, you know, spelling kapla with a K? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that's fair. You put enough work into creating the thing. I think you're allowed to be a bit like, you know, oh, just get it right. <laughs> Uh, Mark, thank you so. I mean, uh, you've been so generous with your time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up to the end now, and I've got a question to ask you now in a moment. But just again, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, this has been amazing. Um, good, good. Thank you. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been, it's been really, I mean, you're literal father of the Klingon language. Yeah, uh, which is which is fantastic. Um, especially because one day I'll become a Klingon. It's still, it's been my dream the whole time. I'm ah. still working on the dictionary. So, um, you good, know. good. Um. Here's a nice, easy question for you. In Klingon, what does Star Trek mean to you? No. What does Star Trek mean to you, Mark? In general. In general. In general. Uh, well, there's sort of two ways of looking, looking at it. What it, means, what it means to me on a very personal level, which is probably not as interesting as a more general level, no. uh, is that it's, it's, it's absolutely changed my life. There's no, there's no question about it. And I realized a while back, and it's been a long time. It's been 40 years or more since I started doing all that. Um, 
most of the people who I've met and come become close with after I started doing that is, is only because of Star Trek and they're all over the world. Right. And that wouldn't have happened without Star Trek. Um, so there's that, you know, for sure. And some people have become, you know, very, very close friends. Um, more generally, it's, this, it's the thing everyone says, Star Trek, Star Trek is still something to give us hope. I, I don't want to be trite, but, you know, hope about the future. Right now, if you look at what's going on in the world, uh, mm. it's not, not something to be really optimistic about. You know, things are going in the wrong direction. There's, it's not, it's not uh, without recourse. There's things that people can do. Things, things can change. Uh, people mm-hmm. can take care of stuff if they try. But come on, do it. You know, and it doesn't doesn't seem to be happening, or at least not happening at a at a, at a quick enough rate. And it's and it's you know could be cataclysmic. It's not just people angry at each other. It's it's, it's the whole world. It's, it's, it's you know the, the ice is melting. You know, and all this stuff, all this stuff. But we look at Star Trek, and there in the twenty third, twenty fourth, thirty something century, we're okay. There's there's problems, there's issues, and all that, but we're okay. And, and things will go on. And I think that's that's a good sign. That's something, that, that's something to, to hold on to. I, lo- I, I love that. Um, optimism, I, I love that. Mark, thank you so, so much. Um, you are just this, this wealth of... I, I, I've loved your stories, particularly the one where Majel Barrett and Mark Leonard stitched you up at the, uh, at the <laughs> Smithsonian. Um, it has been an absolute treat. Um, if people listening to this want to reach out and uh, get in touch with you online, what's the best place to find you? You can't. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, they, if, they, if they want to send stuff to you and you want to forward to me, that's fine. Perfect. Yeah. That's it. Then that's exactly what I will do. Okay. Um, everyone, thank you so much for listening along and for watching. You have been wonderful as always. Uh, we will be back next week with an episode of The War Room. I have been Sean. I have been joined by the wonderful Dr. Mark Ockrand. And to everyone out there, live long and prosper. And could I get a cheeky kapla? Kapla! <laughs> Brilliant. <Okay. laughs>